Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 254. Now, I gave the teaser on this guest last week. This episode is with the founder of 292 Performance and previously men's physical performance coach for the England national team, Ben Rosenblatt. It was brilliant to have Ben on the podcast. I could have spoken to him all day, to be honest, with the experiences and the stories and everything that he brought up on the podcast, which I'm, I'm really grateful for. We covered how the experience with England impacted him as a coach. We talked about the importance of networking and building your profile as a coach. Then we went into his new company, why he's doing it, the sort of um, reason behind it, the approach he's going to take, who he's going to be working with. And then we went off down a little rabbit hole in terms of his approach to social media, which I think was really interesting to get his opinion on. And um, yeah, we probably had a bit of a disagreement on this as well, to a point. Um, And I think you'll find it really interesting. And what I would be interested to hear as well is what you think on that, on that debate that we had around social media on how it should or could be used, whether it should be used as a as a practitioner as well. So let us know what you think. I'd really be interested to hear that. I'm sure Ben would as well. Um, so yeah, this is a, a an episode we cover absolutely loads, but also we just got loads of different stories, some which are absolutely incredible from Ben um, and experiences from the sort of players he's worked with over the last few years as well and it'd be really interesting to watch the progression of 292 performance as well um, with some of the people and clients athletes that he's going to work with over that time as well so really appreciate Ben coming on the podcast and doing this one hopefully you've seen now as well we've got a couple of networking events coming up over the next few weeks the next of which is going to be on Tuesday the 12th of September from 5 till 8 p.m at Rehab for Performance in Liverpool. Amazing facility. We've done an event there before. So if you've not seen it, come and check it out. We've got a great lineup of speakers. Matt Konopinski, who's the Director of Physio and Performance at Rehab for Performance, alongside Jack Dowling, who's First Team Physical Performance Coach at Everton, and Jack Naylor, who's Head of First Team Sports Science at Everton as well. So go to the website, footballfitfed.com, click the shop and then networking events. And as this podcast goes out, um, tickets will still be available for that event. So you can grab tickets there for that one. And then also after that, anyone over in Yorkshire, we're going to be at Doncaster Rovers on Wednesday, the 20th of September, 6 till 9pm. Sam Bowering, who's head of sports science at Doncaster, is going to be presenting alongside Harry Hurst, who's head of academy sports science at Doncaster Rovers. And again, Go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop and then networking events and you'll be able to grab your tickets for the event there. Just on that as well, if you are already a community member, make sure you go onto the community and onto the meeting news tab because we always upload the codes, the discount codes because you get a further discount on our events. So all the codes you need if you come into the event will be available there. Last thing, just before we get into the episode with Ben, I just want to say a massive thank you to our sponsors, The Good Prep. The Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh, ready-to-eat, chef-cooked meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals, current activity level and schedule. The Good Prep works closely with elite-level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. 
Their clients include Brighton & Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth Teams, Gymshark and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep you in peak performance so you can achieve every goal you set. Plus, you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com and make sure you use the code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. Also, a big thank you to Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? For pro sport teams and athletes, Hytro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure-validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe, and scalable, allowing you to enhance recovery and maximize athletic potential like never before. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel, or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. Check them out at hytro.com, that's H-Y-T-R-O.com, or email teamsales at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge. Also, make sure to go and check out our sponsors, Rezzle, doing some incredible work in the world of VR. So search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L, on social media and you'll be able to see some of the incredible work that they are doing. Go and give them a follow and some support. And let's get into episode 254 with the founder of 292 Performance, Ben Rosenblatt. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 254. I'm delighted today to welcome somebody onto the podcast that I've been hounding the inboxes on because it's someone that I've wanted to get onto the podcast for a long time. Ben Rosenblatt, how are we doing? Yeah, great. Thank you very much. 254, that's that's huge. <laughs> Thank you, mate. You Thank look very you. young. You're looking really young for it. You're looking really well for it. <laughs> Some would say that, others would definitely disagree, Ben. No, no chance, mate. Yeah, if I could look that good after 250-odd podcasts, I think I'm, I'd be doing all right. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And thank you for coming on. I know there's, um, we've just been having a discussion on what to cover, and we could end up covering anything on this episode, but I'm sure all of it is going to be pretty good. But for anyone, Ben, that isn't aware of you, maybe your roles that you've had, which I'm sure there's not that many people, will you give us a little... Whistle, whistle stop tour on your career so far and take us up to what you're doing at the moment. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So um, my career started in, um, I mean, how far back do we want to go? But I started life as a kind of uh, non-league footballer, uh, sort of double amateur boxer. And oh, uh, yes. I mean, double amateur, like double crap, probably. <laughs> and then, um, which is probably the same for my footy as well. And um <laughs> Uh, and a personal trainer and I had a I, I was working at this gym and playing some footy and I thought to myself that you know that this is going to be the next 
sort of 10 years of my life, really, like playing footy the weekend, picking up a bit of cash, maybe, and doing personal training. I thought I'd like to try to do a little bit more. So I went to university uh, and I studied at UIC, which is now Cardiff Met. Um, and I think it was, a you know, that whole thing in the land of the blind, the one I man is king. There was a guy called Di Watts there who was the S&C coach and he was working with the rugby club, the rugby team. Um, but there was no S&C for the tennis players, the track and field guys, the football team. Um, so I said, you know, I'll, I'll do it. Um, and I started to coach from from that moment on. And I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, I got the opportunity to go to... So I was working with kind of quite high national level athletes very, very early on in my career because no one else was. Um Went to uh, work, study, box, party in Long Beach uh, in uh, California for a year. Um, again, I got exposed to the American college system, uh, which was, you, you know, it couldn't be more different. Uh, volleyball, baseball team start training at 5.30 in the morning, chucking heavy rate weights around, med balls. Um, uh, yeah, so that, that was like a really well-structured uh, your program and it was fascinating to be part of um, picking up loads of training experiences, boxing in a different culture, different, you know, different part of the world. Um, then went to, um, yeah, come back and took on a role at the Olympic Medical Institute, which was from the British Olympic Association. And uh, yeah, it was the British Olympic Association. It was based at Norfolk Park Hospital um, and it was right next to an animal testing facility um and so every now and again we'd have protesters come into the wrong building you know and uh but it was amazing because you, we would see it was kind of the early days of the english institute of sport um and so there was lots of athletes who were, weren't supported by eis or were sort of semi-supported by them so you'd see lots of again of a huge variety of very very high level athletes that would come in with injury concerns um and um or without a training program because they didn't have the support around them um and you got the opportunity to work with just hundreds literally hundreds of athletes and they we had to stay over one night a week it was a residential rehab center um and teach the athletes how to cook or teach me how to cook um and you and you got to really understand particularly that period of time when an athlete's so vulnerable and they're injured you know you know how, how they're feeling and how to really help them during that period of time as well as doing some really kind of hard science around rehabilitation and trying to understand how we can, you know, uh, improve exercise interventions and effectiveness really within that period. Um, I started my PhD around then in the biomechanics of uh, it was real S&C topics, sprinting and weightlifting, um, <laughs> and how, how uh, power clean transfers over to um, uh, power clean transfers over to sprint performance. So but it was really interesting looking at principles of specificity in training and motor learning Um that took me nearly eight years to do part-time. That nearly broke me a lot. Um, I took on a role uh, after that as I was meant to go to the Beijing Olympics. I coached athletes towards the Beijing Olympics, um, but I got the opportunity to lead the, um, the, sorry, the science and conditioning department of Birmingham City who were in the championship at the time. I was 23, um, so I jumped at the opportunity I was woefully under-experienced and under-prepared for the role, but I had had previous uh, working in academies at Millwall and Cardiff City. Um, and I went in with a very uh, approach, uh, you know, having worked with elite, elite athletes, having worked, being able to do exactly what I wanted to do in an academy, and 
and always had really strong relationships with players and coaches and medical teams as well. I walked in and I was very much like, right, this is the way and this is how we're going to do it. And you can imagine what happened there. It was a real challenging experience, um, but I learned so much um, about uh, the kind of pace of change, um, people, different people's appetite for change and how I went to do it. Um, we had some great success there. We got promoted to the Premier League. Um, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I lost that job uh, in October and took on a role with the EIS and the British Olympic Association again to lead their rehabilitation science, um, which was then based at Bisham Abbey. Um, so, so, so I'm giving you the I'm giving you a long one here. Um, tell me if you want to speed up. So I went from there. We started to work there. I, I, I really miss coaching large groups when I was working one to one with individual athletes. We had the mission there of trying to um, um, provide a sort of critical. Um, yeah, a critical analysis of the process of clinical reasoning. So provide some scientific underpinning to the clinical reasoning that was taking place there and provide effective and innovative solutions to rehabilitating athletes. Again, we saw three athletes a week come in. Um, we developed blood flow restriction training. We like had some great work on some tendon rehabs. We saw tons of lower backs uh, because of their own program. Um, and while I was there, I missed coaching big groups. So I was coaching a little bit of football on the weekends and uh, worked, uh, supported as an assistant the rowing program up until the and um, yeah till London. Um, within that time as well, I also started to coach at the SNC some judo fighters who went on to win, um, um, have great success uh, in the Olympics and win some medals at the Olympic Games as well. Um, after that, I took the opportunity to lead the physical preparation of the Great Britain hockey team. Um, and I guess so. Just to, I know we want to talk about later on just some of those kind of career development opportunities for young coaches. But because I was working in a space that no one really knew very well, which was rehabilitation and, and rehabilitation science, particularly that the physios were really interested about how S and C could be brought in to to rehab, and the S and C coaches were really interested in physio world and rehabilitation world. So I sat in this really nice spot where no one no one kind of knew enough but I knew just a little bit more than everybody else in that area which meant I got the opportunity to consult with lots of different sport and military uh, organizations um, and build a really strong network and develop and listen to some amazing ideas that other people had developed as well so led the physical preparation of the Great Britain hockey team um, got my PhD around that time um, and then we obviously had success in the we won the gold in European championships and then um, the Olympic Games sort of straight after that as well. And then I landed from Rio and then went on camp with the England under-21s two days later, a day later, sorry, and then um, then got married and, and then I felt like I've been going away non-stop ever since that, really. And yeah, and then so the, when the, the FA were going through a large cultural change, um, you know, spearheaded by Dan Ashworth, Matt Crocker, Gareth Southgate and Dave Reddin, um, they um, they wanted to look from people who had experience outside of football and inside of football as well. So obviously I had experience within the game, but I had more of my significant experience in coaching Olympians and Olympic champions, working in rehabilitation outside of the game. So they thought there were some useful skills that I could bring into a role of leading the men's physical performance. 
Um, and we were able to assemble just the most amazing team of physical performance coaches from a whole variety of different experiences. Um, and we were given the task of improving the, yeah, changing the physical training culture of the game. And that was something which really sticks with me still. Brilliant, mate. I'm trying to work my way through that team that you just mentioned there on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> slowly, slowly, but surely we managed to get everyone on. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, I think what's amazing, that the when we were recruiting, one of the things that we tried to do was look at, um, yeah, and Bryce speaks about this really, really eloquently, and it's something I really, I really buy into, which is what, what you need is everyone to have a, a niche area of expertise where you kind of look to that person and go, like, I really respect what, what you know about that and I really want to learn from it. Um, and then equally having a neat little, I'm not really, I'm, we, me and Bryce often spoke, like, I'm not really sure, like, you've got like, kind of Martin Evans there, like, guru on strength training, you've got Ruth Waggon who knows all, knows all she can about sprinting, Matt with his microdosing, and James Hairsign, who was just a fantastic, he really understood how to create training and coaching environments. Ben Young with his connection to uh, and training structure and connection with coaching groups. It was like you're looking at yourself and you've got, you know, Rich Hakenhead with the data science and his team is phenomenal. <laughs> you're like, I know I'm meant to have a niche here, but I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not really, not really sure what it is. Um, but that whole thing of recruiting based on the capability to be able to deliver everything, but really excel in one area or have just have an area of interest in one area as well. Yeah, 100%. Ben, I'm really interested. I've asked, I've asked this to a few people and I think it'd be fascinating to hear your answer. You've mentioned there a number of different sports, mm. a number of different um, opportunities in terms of Olympic groups, academy groups, first team, international. Is the one that sticks out, as you as a practitioner, is the one that sticks out where you're like, I developed the most in this role or this time? Oh, God. I've just thrown that on you, by the way. We didn't talk about this before. Yeah, then I, I still probably wouldn't know what the... I think I've been so lucky with all the experiences that I've had. I think one of the things that I've always thought really, really important throughout my career, uh, my career is I never want to experience the same year twice. Um, and I never want to, you know, to some extent, the same day twice as well. Maybe there's a diagnosis for that. I'm not sure. But um, I think that... Yeah, yeah, kind of based on that, it means that every single year or every single period of time I've had with with a sport, with an athlete, with a group, those different experiences, I've just learned an unbelievable amount. Um, sometimes the challenges as well when you're at the same in the same organisation or the same place for a longer period of time is how do you make it fresh for you as well? How do you yeah. change something? Um, <clears throat> excuse me to make sure that you keep learning. And, and one of the things that I've learned throughout my career in elite sport is that the moment that you decide that you're going to do what you did last year or do, do what you did last week and just repeat is the moment you're dead. Because mm -hmm. if it was good, someone else is going to copy it and they're probably going to find a way of doing it better than you. And we know all about dynamic systems as, you know, uh, kind of enlightened coaches. And we know that, Every day, every you know, every second, every day, every month, every year, every week, something in the system changes. Something in the system changes, and the, the kind of as a leader, I think it's your responsibility, which you are as a coach, it's your responsibility to try and identify 
what's changed and how you need to adapt to that change or how the structure of the program, the plan needs to adapt to that change. And if you, in my mind, if I've constantly got that mindset, then you're learning every moment, right? Yeah, 100%. Have I given that as a kind of politician's answer, maybe? It was, it was. You, you scraped around it well then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean. No, but, and, and that's why it's so interesting because, and I said this before we started recording, for someone like yourself, you've had a range of experiences. Yeah. And it's just interesting to tap into that. And even to take you right back to when you was first started talking about playing football, boxing, then yeah. taking that first opportunity of just going, I'll do, I'll take the team. I'll do, I'll do yeah. some work with someone. There'll be a lot I'll of coaches probably it. listening. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people in a similar position, hopefully listening, that go, oh, I just need to get some experience working with people. And, and get started from there. So I've got a question for you. Ready? Oh, he's looking a bit nervous. Uh, <laughs> has becoming a podcast host made you a better coach? I'd say yes. And I said this actually on, I recorded, I've not listened back to it because it'll be horrendous. <laughs> but the very first episode I put out was like an introduction to the podcast on why I yeah. wanted to do it. Yeah. And the, one of the reasons behind it was to speak to people like yourself and all the other guests I spoke to. But what a big part for myself was to improve my communication skills. Right. Has and it? I, I feel like it has. Great. Uh, and for me, this is the point now, isn't it? That, you know, it, I don't know without putting words in your mouth, like I, I'm, I'm sure that the hosting a podcast wasn't the thing that you've learned the most within your career, the area that's given you but you've learned an enormous amount, which has had a huge impact on another area that you're working in. And th these things all blend and lead to each other. So in, it's, in, in my mind, I'm really glad you answered that question, by the way, like that, because, because yeah, nothing like confirmation or bias, right? But, but in my mind, if you've constantly challenged yourself and trying to find ways of improving those things that, you know, those, those things that you want to get better at or the things that you're just really interested in and want to know a little bit more about, and have the courage to challenge yourself in that way, then you're always going to learn and it's always going to have an impact in loads of different areas of your career and your life that you had no idea about, right? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I know we're going to get into what you're doing at the moment shortly, and I'm yeah. really keen to get into that because I think there's a lot of takeaways people can take from that. But just another thing I wanted to bring up that you start, that you mentioned a few times at the start was this, I suppose, this drop, <laughs> yeah, we'll bring that up as well. Um, <laughs> this drawback to working with groups. Yeah. So working with individuals, working with groups, there's going to be probably be a lot of people listening to the podcast that have only ever worked in team scenarios. Yeah. So what do you think that draw was to get back into the team environment? I think they're different skills, learning how to manage a group um, and working with an individual I think with with an individual, um, I guess this is unfortunate because I was a personal trainer earlier on in my career. I mean, if you want to keep a client, you need to like get a client and keep a client. You need to tune into them really, really quick. Yeah. And you need to understand what their needs are, what their motivations are. And, you know, you can ask a series of questions pretty quickly to understand that. And that's similar with working an individual athlete. Pay some real interest. Be really interested in what what what's important to them, what's valuable to them, what experiences they've had, what's led them to this point here, what's next for them, and work out how you can legitimately support their journey. That's a skill with an individual athlete. You can't do that with a group. 
right? You don't have the opportunity. Well, you, you can, but it takes a lot more time and it has to be done in a really, really different way. So the skill of coaching and leading a group is really different skill to coaching and leading an individual. Now, at the time when I was working at the IRU, I mean, listen, I didn't have a family or kids then, so I could just, you know, do whatever I want, want work-wise, right? But um, they might argue I still would do anyway, but my <laughs> little one does. Um, but I but I recognised that though I was going to de-skill in an area that I wanted to keep on continually improving on. And there were some amazing coaches like Alex Wolf, like Neil Lewis, um, Andy Hudson, Dave Hamilton, who were working at the IS at Bisham Abbey at that period of time. And I wanted to learn from them. I wanted to see what they were doing. I wanted to see what their what their tricks are. Um, I think that all of those things, uh, yeah, develop you as the, the presence that you have and the way that you go about solving problems um, as well. You're basically not nicking other ideas, but you're just absorbing what other people are doing and it changes who you are and how you how you choose to lead things as well. Um, so, yeah, I didn't want to de-skill in that area and I wanted to get better at it. Probably similar to you and your communication in a podcast, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I'm really interested in what you just mentioned, though, because we've talked a lot on the podcast about exactly what you just mentioned, uh, creating relationships with players mm. and not just making it about football, not just making it about whatever sport you're working with but getting to know them on a personal level and really developing those relationships. So you mentioned there that obviously it's a lot easier just numbers-wise on a one-to-one -one basis or a small group basis. In that team environment, what was the approach? Because I think this this will be really valuable for people to sort of hear about how you actually go about managing a group of maybe 20-plus players and doing that same thing. So my, if, if we talk about um, working with... Uh, let's say the England England senior team, right? So what you've got is a bunch of high-profile, highly experienced, competitive athletes who are at the very, very top of their game, right? The assumption I have coming into that environment is that they want to get better because if you want to go and win something, you've got that mindset of, I want to keep on getting better. So I'm going to come in with the assumption that that's the case. Now, I also, listen, I... I've worked at lots of different levels of the game and I recognise that not every group has got that ambition, that desire. Um, if there's something that you can connect it to a, a, like a broader narrative, it's even more important. So look, we're trying to achieve this. That means this. Um, I think that's that's first and foremost. So they want to get better. Um, secondly, when they're with you, what are their expectations? They're coming into a gym session to work. They're not coming into a gym session to listen. And most of the time, you might have a session 15, 20 minutes go before you get out on the grass, right? So what are you going to be doing with that time, which is an opportunity for them to learn? When I stepped into that role, I spent a lot of time with the women's hockey team beforehand, and they wanted to know exactly what was coming on this particular session, how it connected, to the week and how it connected to the, the longer period of time. Um, and they wanted to have complete clarity on that before they were able to commit their kind of spiritual energy and their attention into the training session, which was a thing which was obviously going to make them get better. What I noticed is with the senior men's players is they were just like, stop talking and we're here to train. Show me what we're going to do, right? So you kind of need to adjust to the mood music of the, of the, you need to be flexible, but equally you need to be really clear about what your principles 
are as well. I don't feel like I'm articulating myself particularly well here. Uh, for me, the yeah, so some of those principles sit around responding and listening to the group. What are your expectations coming in and being really clear with them about what they are, what you're expecting of them, what they should expect of you. So one of my principles as well is that with a group, I always tell them how to communicate with me right. and how, when to communicate with me, um, which might seem a little bit formal, but given a worked example, it might be something like, we're going to do this for two weeks. This is exactly why we're going to be doing this and how we're going to be doing it. And I need you to listen and pay attention to this particular at uh, this particular moment. After this, we can just crack on and train and you can come and ask me any question that you want, but we need to commit. Once we've committed after two weeks, if you want to change it, if you want to do something different, if things aren't working for you, come and speak to me. But what I don't want you doing is speaking to other people about it. Yeah. I don't want you complaining or moaning or and, and I want to see you commit to it. And if things aren't working, come and talk to me because we're going to find a different way. And then you literally got to tune into that as well. One of the best things I think you can do as a coach in terms of structuring and organizing a group um, is to try and not coach. So how can you design a training session in a group environment where you're doing the least amount of coaching possible and you're doing the most amount of observation? So whether that means bringing in football coaches, whether it means bringing in physios, whether it means bringing in interns, whoever you've got in your environment, that you can bring in to deliver different aspects to the session and you can sit back and observe and watch because then you can sit down and go, right, who, like, who's who got bad technique here? Who's got really good technique in this one? Who is this too easy for? Who is this too hard for? Who's disengaged from the session um, because it's too challenging for them and who's disengaged because it's not challenging enough for them? So you have to use your coaching sessions as observations and assessments. We did some work with um, a guy called Doug Lemov, um, who's, um, um, I don't know if you've come across him. He's no. um, uh, His book is called A Coach's Guide to Teaching. Um, it's fantastic. And it's basically all about structuring a learning environment. So we, myself, uh, James Hairsign and Chris Black at the FA, went on and actually developed a, we called it uh, Project Gaudi it was all about session architecture and design so how are you actually designing a training session for an, to get different learning outcomes from it and one of them is being really specific with the, the things that you want to see yeah. so in this session i want to see I, I want to assess whether players can actually hinge properly and have a tick list look through this look through as you're going through with your clipboard just going off and ticking what you're seeing, yes, they can. No, they can't. Yes, they can. And then you've got something to actually purposely reflect back on from your session as well. If you are not already a member of our online community, we've just hit the 250 member mark. We've got members from right across the world in a number of different roles in clubs as well. Sports science, strength conditioning, therapists. We've got technical coaches in there as well. Nutritionists. So anyone involved in the physical performance of players and it's a great place to share ideas, to tackle any performance questions that you're coming up against in your role and also just to get perspectives from a number of different coaches right across the world at different levels of the game as well. So if you're not already a member, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab 
and sign yourself up there. It'll give you a 30-day free trial on the community so you can see what it's all about. There's over 100 hours of content on there now in terms of webinars and presentations as well. After your 30-day trial, you become a paid member on the community and you also get access to our members' WhatsApp group where we have loads of discussions each week around a number of different topics. We also get some um, jobs in there posted from different people and opportunities that might crop up that maybe don't appear over on social media as well. So come and join us, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and sign up to a 30-day free trial there. Here's part two of the podcast with Ben Rosenblatt. I love Uh, that. I love that. I think that's... A really probably a different way of looking at a session, isn't it? That a lot of people don't do, and it, it kind of reminds me. I spoke to James Coneboy at uh, Aston Villa, yeah, and he was t- telling me about a practice that I've never heard anyone else do, where he basically recorded himself coaching, yeah. and he listened back to the cues he was giving, how he engaged with players, how much he was even speaking in the session, yeah. and it was amazing speaking to him on some of the language that he was using. And the repetition of some things that he just said, I don't know why I was saying it because it wasn't really giving the player anything. And I suppose it's similar, isn't it? When you go in with like into a session, you know you want this out the session. It's being precise and making sure that you can hit that. 100%. So I, I went through that process in 2015, I think, with Chris McLeod. Um, and he... Uh, we called it the mirror weeks. I said to him, what I, what I want to improve on is my self-awareness. And what I need is someone to come in and just say, watch all my interactions. And and I'm going to tell you exactly what my intention is coming in. And you've got to give that. And he went to a whole different stratosphere. He's a, he's a genius. You get an opportunity to get him on the podcast. You must. But he, um, well, I was actually, I was mic'd up and mid-session, I got food poisoning. So one of the things you could hear <laughs> <laughs> we were listening to him back in me, me doing the business with my food poisoning. It was a disaster. Um, <laughs> but um, just like, um, what was his name from Aston Village? Uh, James, James Colomboy. James. Yeah, just like James said there, the level of self-awareness you get in that, it's like, on yeah, it's on steroids. It's just everything's sped up, right? Um, so if there's an opportunity as a coach to have yourself filmed, um, to have you have yourself mic'd up um, or to have somebody watch you, not watch a session, but watch you and give you feedback. It's completely and utterly invaluable. And if you want to grow as a coach and become better in those environments, even just articulating to someone, this is what I'm trying to get out of the session. This is how I see it running. And this is my measure of success. Yeah. And make it not about whether they complete the circuit or not, or whether they do the reps or not, you know, make it about learning. Okay. And then because you'll find really, really quickly that within maybe four, five, six sessions of going through that process, you're going to get to the point where you're going to have very, really specific individual aims for each and outcomes for each player. And at that point, you can then start articulating that to them. So here's a group session or they've got their program that you're going, excuse me, listen, Ben, everyone's doing this today, but I want you to have a real focus on, you know, your speed at the bottom of the squat. I want that to be a real focus for you and I'm going to be watching it for you as well. So when you're squatting, give me a shout or, you know, or give James a shout. He's going to come over and and watch you do that as well. 
like you know is that that's a 10 second conversation right but what you're doing is giving someone specific purpose specific outcome a learning outcome from from the training session so you're immediately getting 10 times as much you know that whole like deliberate practice thing you're giving them a focus for that session so the amount of attention they're putting towards it and effort they're going to put towards it is immediately going through the roof so by improving your skills as a coach by making yourself more self-aware you're immediately improving the outcome for the athletes you're working with as well that was something we really heavy into sorry with hockey and it was what i wanted to create was an environment where the girls were coaching each other yeah and so it was literally go and find somebody who's you know, go find somebody who's got a similar aim of the session to you do and contract with each other what it is you're going to try to get from the session and how you're going to go and do it and i i guess that was easy to do in that environment that it was with the senior men's but easy really easy to do with younger age groups yeah all the way up to 21s and and even with the seniors we went through different phases of going speak to go find i've got some i've got some really cool photos of different players like literally with each other with a piece of paper going and we gave them tick boxes so we didn't have to write something just like look do you want to improve for this period of time for the nation's league campaign do you want to improve your robustness do you want to improve your um one v one ability. Do you want to improve your aerial dominance? What are the what are these things that you actually want to improve on? Spend two minutes talking and finding it out with the, with your mate next year, and then bring the cards back into me, and then we'll make sure that in the next training session that it's orientated towards your group. And then what we did, we split them up. You guys are the one v one dominance group. You guys are the, you know, and and are the uh, I think we called it. We we called it. Oh, it's so daft. I've got this. A horrendous photo where I've got a sheet holding a shield and holding a sword in front of the team, and they're all looking at me like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And I'm said, "This is your shield. It's this thing that's your protecting you. That's non-negotiable. We're all going to do that work at the start. This is your sword. This is your weapon. You're going to pick what your weapon is, and that's going to be individualized. And we're going to work on that immediately after. So the session structure was: come in, we all do like a hamstring and groin." and uh hopping circuit and then the 1v1 group go over there the aerial dominance group go over there the blah 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 group over there the funky dancing group over here whatever it was and then we we get to work and the session intensity goes through the roof and then also it means that you can get three or four coaches popping around or you can flip between different groups for that one particular purpose that they're focusing on love it Love it. And was there any hat involved in this or any any sort of body armor or anything? Or was it just the sword and the uh it gets shield? even it gets even worse than that actually? What we have <laughs> which I wanted to do was collect profiling data. So I then had there was the the range, I called it the range, where you could uh, calibrate your weapon. And there was a bow and arrow next to the force decks and the Nord board. For them to go and uh yeah and that was the, to go calibrate your weapon so you could Brilliant. go and you just had to make sure that across the course of the week you had to go and calibrate your weapon at these points so we got all the profiling data as well <laughs> love it so there, there was there was always there was always different things coming out but i think the other thing as well like it's sport in it it's fun I you think know, that that's the thing to take away from that, isn't it like you're getting the work done in a fun way and you're creating a really good environment in that doing that and taking that approach 
with the with the women's hockey team, we often used to do like dress up session, maybe once a month or once a yeah, once a month or once every two months. We do theme it around Halloween. You know, you've got to come in. You got a bit, you know the gym session. You got to come in your best Halloween costume, and there'll be a prize for. Or Rio, you should see this. We've got an amazing photo before uh, our last gym session before the Rio Olympics, and everyone had to come dressed up as uh, like so, like uh, yeah Rio themed. And it was like people came in with pine. I think I strapped a pineapple to my head, and people came in dressed up as a <laughs> like a, it was like someone came up dressed up as a huge inflatable uh, tree, like palm tree and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, but yeah. you, you got to enjoy, like because let's be fair, like being an athlete can be really boring. And actually, if you're a really good athlete, then you're probably doing a lot of boring stuff a lot, and you're having to commit to uh, commit to repetition, repetition, repetition. So how can you make that environment slightly more enjoyable? 100%. If you're listening or watching this podcast and you look at the graphic and Ben's picture isn't the one with the pineapple on his head, I'm really sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'll try my best. We'll see what we can do. This is cool. Yeah, I've got to make a decision on career suicide. (laughs) It is like comedic value. (laughs) <laughs> no that was that was brilliant mate because I think that obviously from what players see and the actual work they're getting done in terms of like we've talked about creating cultures creating environments for players getting buy-in getting players to come into the gym and enjoy coming into the gym environment as much as we've had a laugh talking about that I'm sure the players did as well essentially that is what you're doing isn't it you get you're creating that environment where players want to come and they, and they, they understand what they're doing because of these analogies that you're using so the this project Gaudi I think this is a really useful thing to for, for me it's one of the fam- favorite projects that we've worked on because it is about this environment this it's being really deliberate with the environment you're trying to create to get the outcomes that you want so the process goes through like you know, there's a series of questions, which is like, what you know, in what context does this training session sit? You know, like, you know, what day of the week it is, all the most, what, what location, what day of the week it is, what's the weather like, what's the, you know, and it takes like literally two minutes to fill this form in, like what, just going through all the different things of like the, the cons, what context is training sessions sitting? Um, how are the athletes? Are they, you know, are they fatigued? Are they fresh? Are they excited? Are they bored? Are they like, and, and like, be really deliberate about how they are and who they are at that particular point in time. Um, and the next thing is, what outcomes do you want from the session? But, but thinking it through, like more, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we had like these kind of um, amplifiers, which were, you know, one of them might be, do you want high levels of competitiveness or do you want high levels of learning do you want high levels of autonomy an individual or or do you want high levels of uh you know deliberate coaching is is this a session about the team or is this a session about the individual and the other one i had every each coach we gave an individual amplifier to and is this a session about learning or is this a session about adaptation you know and these are scales you know what i mean they're not like Mm. what it does it just forces you to think a little bit about what well what um Chris Black came up with these with James Airsign and, and myself. And one of the it really forces you to think about like, well, what is the outcome that I actually want from the session? So when you then get towards, okay, well, here's the program, then how am I going to design the environment 
to make and, and the circuit, the flow of it, to get these outcomes from these activities. And so one of them might be like like you say the the some of the ones I've really enjoyed coaching have been th- where the atmosphere is really really high has been things like, um, you know, jump squat competitions with or just some sort of competition with the boxing belts and things like that where you and that was like for that session there the outcome would have been I want really high levels of intensity from this one particular exercise I want to do that I want to make sure it's a really highly competitive environment. The players might be feeling a little bit fatigued from where we are in the training cycle. I still need this intensity of effort. We've got a hard session out on the pitch. So I need them going in from the gym session, really motivated, sparked up, energetic, catty and laughing, you know, competitive. So then it's like, well, how do I design a session to get that outcome? Um, And yeah, for, for that one in particular, it was... Um, again we went for a kind of robustness type circuit and then we went to some jump squats with a drop on it so there's an eccentric bias we've got the uh, output sport systems on there so we can measure uh, we measured peak or no it was uh, mean barbell velocity and then what we did was we split them we did it two ways we did like the lightweight yeah, middleweight heavyweight different weights on the bar and you had I think they had six minutes and they had to visit at least each bar uh, they had to visit at least each bar at least once for three reps. And they had six minutes to see if they could become champ for each one. So it encouraged, you know, at the very, very least, they got three sets done. And the yeah. most was six. Yeah. And I put the Rocky soundtrack on for six minutes really loudly. I think and- I saw some clips of that and I, I thought it was brilliant because you created, you did create that environment. I remember seeing the players really adapting well to it. Yeah. And then what you've got is it's only six minutes, but they've got, so they've got anywhere between three and six sets of three bar, low, 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 yeah, barbell jumps with maximum intensity. Yeah. And then what you're able to do as a coach is step back and go, that session runs itself. Do you know what I mean? It completely runs itself. You you take two roles there. You're an observer, or you're the ringmaster holding the belts. Uh, and what it, so what I did, I was the ringmaster holding the belts, chucking them around to the different. Um, then I've got someone else to observe and say, "Can you tell me who's not engaging?" Yeah. At the next session, those two or three, we try and just try and work out why and shift it for them. Yeah, class. Really, really good. It's fun, isn't it? Mate, so good. So good, but like so simple at the same time, isn't it? But I think the important thing is exactly what you just mentioned. It's it's going into that session with that intent. Yeah. And I think that's probably where people miss it, isn't it? That they're going into sessions and sometimes they might fluke that environment and they'll come out and go, oh, that, was, that session was great. Whereas going into it with that intent, right, this is what we're focusing on for this session. You're yeah. being precise with it, aren't you? You know exactly what you want to, to achieve. I think that's what I'm taking away from what you're saying there. It's, it's absolutely massive. And it's not just people. We, we all do it. Like, we all have sessions. But the, the great thing about and even when you plan meticulously, they still don't go to plan. No. But at least you've got something to refer back to. And you go, all right, I tried to do X, Y, and Z. I did A, and to do that, I did A, B, and C. And what I got was one, two, three. Um, and <laughs> another set of letters. Um, so why? Where, where did we miss? Maybe we got maybe we got X and Y, but we didn't get Z. So what was the reason why, and how can we do better than that? And that's that continuous learning cycle. 
So bringing it back, if you bringing it back to the earlier question you had, like for me, that's why each day you can try and make a really different experience for yourself. But listen, I know in a club environment, it's really, really hard to do that because there's so many other challenges on, on your time, so many other pressures on your time. But in my mind, if we're not focusing on coaching players and creating an incredible coaching environment for them, for them to actually get better at within the training that we are completely and utterly responsible for, then what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, for me, it's mission critical and the highest priority of what we do as coaches. Coach. 100%. And and I hope this ties in. Might be a bit of a seamless or not so seamless link. But we spoke before and I wanted to ask, for coaches out there that are hopefully going to listen to this, to stand out above other coaches, I think you've kind of answered it with some of the stuff that you just mentioned there for for, for sure. But to stand out, there's so many role, like so many practitioners now coming out of universities, probably in the first few jobs. On your experience so far, what would you say if they were to ask you out? What's your advice for me to stand out above all these other people? What would you say? Um, I, I think there's a few. I, I think there's a few things there. Like one of them as well is, I, I like to think of this. If you consider like the people that we're trying to coach, and think of the environments that they're having to go through to get to where they want to be as well. It's tough. Yeah. Sport sport is tough. It's fun and it's enjoyable. It is tough. So if you think of a, a, a player or an athlete from any experience uh, to try and make it to the level that they're aspiring towards, it's a very non-linear, unpredictable, insecure uh, route. Even for the very, very top players, even for the, the best of the best of the best. Um, so my my starting point is, why should it be any different for the coaches? Because at the end of the day, we have to earn the right to to do that, with those, to help them make that journey as linear and direct as possible to their, to their ambitions. So... We, I think for me, in terms of standing out, it's about having a broad portfolio of work where you've used it as a genuine learning experience. So going into a, the people I see who do this best, uh, ones who are going in with a genuine learning mindset, like, okay, I'm gonna. What I want to do with the next phase of my career is I want to learn this. I'm really interested in that. Um, uh, these are the gaps of my skills that I've got. One of the best things you can do, I think, is look through, uh, go through an aspiration. I, I've done this a few times. Um, I did this with uh, England rugby role came out years ago. And I thought, wow, that's like the, that's the pinnacle. Because I never thought uh, the England football role would ever come out or that there would ever be an opportunity to do that one, ever. Mm. Or that I'd have the skills or experience to do it. So in my mind, that wasn't I wasn't ever thinking about that because it was just a it wasn't even a dream. So the England rugby ones, ah, oh, you know, they're awesome. They're doing everything at the very, very best. And I looked, they had a job description that came out, and I literally just marked myself against it. But but did it in with a real critical eye. If I was if I was on the other side of that, looking at Ben Rosenblatt, where are the gaps? And that's things like, okay, I'm not coaching a team at the moment because I was at the IU. I need to go do that. Yeah. Or I'm doing this. How does this area stand out? And it's kind of working working back from there as well. 
I think the other the other point as well is we're part of an amazing community of people of, of coaches who uh, coaches or scientists whatever we want to call ourselves who are here to make players better and if we look at it through that that particular lens and we want to make ourselves better as well so the question I've always got is like what are we what are, what am I doing as an individual to help raise our, our community what am I contributing to the community? And what am I learning from the community? And, and, and am I genuinely part of it? So we spoke before the podcast about networking and whether that was because the network is so, so important. But if you're in someone's network, but you're making a genuine contribution to that particular part of the community, then you are and you have a large and like a broad portfolio of work, which aligns with the thing which those particular employers are interested in. Then it's a no-brainer about why why you would take on that role. So in my mind, what are you doing to lift up your community? What are you doing to contribute to it? Being completely brutal with yourself about your skills gap and how you're going to go and fill it. And the other one as well is, I'm sure you've done a bunch of recruitment or been on both sides of recruitment as well. Sometimes it's just the wrong fit or the wrong time for that particular role of person. And it's just as simple as that. And recruit being on the other side as an employer or recruiting people, it's really tough. Yeah. Because what you're trying to do is make a judgment on how much confidence, how confident am I that that person, that individual there is going to give me the things that I really need for this particular role. So and and that that's as an employer or someone who's trying to give somebody a role. That's the thing you're thinking: Can they do the thing I need them to do? Can they connect with this team? Can they be part of this group? And so the, the final, based on that, the final bit I would say is complete authenticity, being really clear about who you are, what you do, how you do it, and just present yourself as as absolutely as you are. Because all that happens if you do anything other is you present a different version of yourself. And you're letting yourself down in six months' time when you can't keep that up and the people are employing you as well. Would you say it's fair to say that one of the biggest mistakes that people or coaches are making is where you've talked about that honesty and you said about that job description and comparing yourself to that job description and being really critical and honest with yourself? Would you say that's probably one of the common things that coaches don't do? I don't know. I've got I've got no idea to be honest with you, but what I do know is that as a human being, it's a it's a tough thing to admit that you might be crap at something. Yeah, something that you really care about. Yeah, you know, and I think that's something. It's something that, and as coaches and and athletes do this as well. We and I think it's actually a real big risk. And I've seen a lot of athletes and coaches with mental health issues associated, in my mind at least with um, placing their value as an individual and a person with what they're doing or who they're representing uh, and, and as themselves, as a coach or as an athlete. So an athlete might be like their whole identity is wrapped up about what's just happened in that one particular sparring session or that swimming session or that track session or that training session or that game or even how their identity is wrapped up in how um, the public or people on social media, you know, feel like they feel like they're being represented to them. And it happens with us as coaches as well. 
you know, we put up a really nice idea or some uh, on Twitter about a fantastic concept we have. How many likes have we got? You know, or so I, or do the do the people around me, you know, do they? You know, am, am I trusted? Am I valued by my community? So the reason I I say that is that as a consequence, when things aren't going so well or you're not getting the jobs that you want, or it's a very, very difficult thing to do to admit that you might be crap at something that you care a hell of a lot about. Um, or, you, you're, you're, or you're not performing in an area that you're really, really good at. I've had that, I've had that experience several times where this is actually a strength of mine and I'm not performing in that. But if again, if you take the athletes experience, that's what we hold them accountable to all the time. And they get held accountable to it every single moment of the time. Um, and if you've been an athlete yourself, or if you played sport or competitive level, you, you, if you think, you know, or even if you just have half a dose of empathy, you'll understand that. So you should be holding yourself to those same standards as well. And it's tough and it's not easy. Um, but I think if you want to achieve the things that you want to with your career and when, in your life, then you have to take a real brutal hard look at your current situation and face it head on. Definitely. And understand it's not always gonna you're not always gonna get the answer you want or the clear answer or, or, or the, you're not gonna get the answer you want or you're not gonna get the clarity you want, but at least you know where you're heading. Definitely. And this is again just see this podcast is just seamless, isn't it? Because we could, where are you headed now? What's the next role? Oh, <laughs> oh that was cringe, wasn't it? <laughs> that was unbelievable. Well done. I um I'm I'm the fa- I, I've founded a company called Two Nine Two Performance, and uh, I've for, for a long time I've felt um that some of the things that are really really important to me is working in it as a team and providing interdisciplinary support and coming up with interdisciplinary solutions for athletes. Um, so I wanted to create a company that that could do that. Um, I feel really passionately and really strongly about um helping athletes achieve their ambitions and working in a really close collaborative and and connected way with um with the teams that are already supporting them as well um i also um again for a long time have been really interested in what are the things that we can learn from elite sport and how can we deploy them into different sectors and different areas of life um and so I set up a company to kind of fulfill those ambitions, really, um, to provide athletes with the support to the, the direction they deserve, uh, to be able to curate teams and to work as a team to be able to provide that for them and to be able to um, support uh, you know, other athletes or high-performing individuals in different sectors of life, um, learning for, leading into the experiences that we've had from elite sport. So this is going to be working across a, diff- a number of different sports, maybe even outside of sport as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're working with. Um, so at the moment, the portfolio, the company's working with uh, a number of different athletes um, and, and footballers, and providing them with individual support. Working really, really closely with the clubs, and we've got a fantastic. Again, from a football perspective, certainly from the England experience that I've had, I think that. Um, an important company value of mine is being really connected um, and sharing absolutely everything and trying to be a really, and making sure that my company is a positive 
support to not just the player but to the club as well and the club value 292 performance being part of you know being a partner like a general a genuine partner and collaborator for that individual athlete's performance um so that that's kind of in the football space working with other athletes from different sports as well consulting with different sports organizations around things like um uh, how they're structuring their departments uh strategic approaches to developing physical performance for the game and for the or for the different um sports and then working with some um different organizations outside of the game and individuals outside of the game and sport as well um to try and help them improve in employee performance not just well-being brilliant and ben where's the 292 from so 292 is the alphanumeric conversion of a Hebrew word, an ancient Hebrew word called Ruach. And Ruach is your life force, your spirit and your energy. But if I called it Ruach, then no one would be able to pronounce it. <laughs> so 292 it is. I like it. I like it. No, I think it's fascinating. So in terms of like this step in your career, because you see a lot of practitioners now taking a similar route, don't you? And, and setting up companies, working yeah. privately with players. What was sort of the main draw for you, do you think, to do this? I, I think from a, I'll speak candidly from a, a personal perspective. Well, I, I'm going to start with saying that um, I never wanted to leave the England football team. No one ever wants to leave that, that world. And the team... The management, the leadership, uh, the coaching group, the players, the support staff around it are just completely and utterly phenomenal. And I enjoyed every I enjoyed every single moment that I will work there. Um, I, I have a young family that, and I've been away from them an awful lot. And um, it's really important for this stage of my life that I have the opportunity to spend a little bit more time with them. Although they'd probably argue that I'm not at the moment. Um, so th that was really, really important to me. Um, I think secondly, as, as well, is that, or I suppose thirdly, is that um, I, I wanted to have the opportunity to test myself and, and challenge myself and, and, and see whether, and I felt this had been something that had been brewing for a while in my head. And I wanted to see whether it could work and whether it was valuable and whether I could provide something that would be genuinely valuable to the communities like we spoke about the communities that are really really important to me um and i'm and i really hope it can um so i i think i, I took the opportunity based on that and uh, uh, the, there's a couple of players who, who asked me whether they wanted to whether i wanted to support them on an individual basis so it gave me the opportunity to to go and do it brilliant now getting a little bit more on the business side yeah What's the strategy now for going forward in terms of marketing, promoting the business? Yeah. Are, you, are we going to start to see Ben Rosenblatt, the, the influencer? Uh, well, hopefully not. No, I don't think there'd be many people who'd want to be influenced by me. <laughs> I, can't, I can't influence. I can't influence my five-year-old to get off his iPad, so I don't know whether I could. Yeah, yeah but that's a different story. <laughs> we, we, I've said about this before. Parenting needs to be a separate podcast. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I'm. I'm working through. Uh, I'm working through a lot of that at the moment, and it's a really, really new area to me. Um, there are some things that I, I'm interested in my business growing and being able to impact and affect as many people as possible. Um, 
the so the way that the way that I'm considering doing that at the moment is um, developing my systems and making sure that my systems and process the two nine two performance systems the performance planning process the profile and programming and coaching systems some of the that we've kind of discussed or lent into today uh, are really clear and uh, and that our community has an opportunity to to learn from them. So I'm I'm pushing towards that direction. Um, I think that in, from from a, a sales perspective, in terms of individual athletes and the and the individual performers that I'm that I work with and that I'm trying frankly trying to sell to as well, um, they're high performing individuals. They tend to be quite discreet, um, and they don't really want their business banded all around social media. And I'm not trying to sell to 10,000 football fans. I'm trying to sell to the performers, the individuals themselves. Um, So from a social media perspective, uh, which is something we we lent into a little bit before, I'm I'm really interested in it, but I I also don't aspire to have a a great presence. Um, because it's not necessarily important for my for my company or for my business to do that, and if anything, um, I've got to be careful because I don't want to appear to disrespect anybody else with what I'm saying here. So I'm going to be really careful because I because not how I feel. But I think the people that I'm trying to sell to, they don't buy from social media. Is is the long and short of it. So mm-hmm. the other reason that I would be promoting doing other things on there would be to I need to have a market presence, um, but I want my market presence to be more about the systems and and how the team and how the team functions and how two nine two operates rather than necessarily who I'm working with. Do you think that ties a that lot? Into, yeah, yeah, it is, and I think to for clarity on that, do you feel like? that ties into a lot of what we've discussed already on like your profile as a coach and your experiences. And we've talked about like network and the amount of athletes that you've worked with for someone that wasn't, didn't have all that, didn't have the background that you've had. It might be that they could utilize it in a slightly different way. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. I think that there's a couple of, I think that's a really, really useful point. And it's also like, I've got to be careful, not careful, but I guess I've got, I've got to think more about it. It's something I think a lot about more than I probably should, because I'm confused with like what to do or how to approach it. Right. Because you see some amazing content out there and you learn from social media as well. Right. Yeah. Someone like, you know, Harley Theodros, for example, who now works for the FA, like, puts out some amazing stuff. And like, is you look at, okay, that I've genuinely learned something from, from what you've put out there um someone like yourself and the, the podcasts that you've got and the, the ability and the the way that you're able to share information is you know I, i've learned from that so that's really really valuable and i think it's boosted your profile in a way which is highly credible and important to your business so i i can i can see how and why it, it's important um, I, I think from my personal perspective, I'll, I'll keep going back to what I said around the community. You know, the, the people who um, follow me on social media tend to be um, other people who are really interested in 
physical performance and physical preparation of athletes. So I want to make a positive contribution. And that's my community. Yeah. One of my communities. So I want to make a really positive contribution to that community. Um, and that's kind of my aspiration and aim. So, so I guess I, I, I can know leaning into the younger practitioner, the person who's developing, um, I, I wonder whether if there's any difference there. Why couldn't you use social media to to learn and to have your ideas challenged and tested, which is part of the learning process as well, and then to um, make a positive contribution to our community. I think this is a it's a big discussion, isn't it, around the use of social media? Because, like you said, you've already mentioned Hailu, and there's a lot of other people out there that that post some amazing content but also it can be short it can be really easily digested yeah which makes it so so attractive doesn't it in a way yeah whereas i suppose it's not thinking that you just fall into the pool of everybody on social media and all the information that's on there because it's not all like that and it's deciding as a practitioner as an and as a business where you fit and how social media is going to work for you i suppose I think it's worth giving it some proper consideration. I, I think that's maybe the maybe the conclusion I've come to, and I think maybe if you were to do that thing of like dream job versus, if you look at that dream job thing and then where you are right now, and then you work out how you're going to fill that gap. I wonder, legitimately, how many of those steps would involve boosting social media presence yeah and I, I don't know what the answer to that is but it's, I'm, I'm curious and there might be one which is okay how do i improve like say how do how do um, uh, this is my first gig how do people know about me but that doesn't necessarily but th- but then you've got to be really careful about the, the type of content and the stuff you're posting i guess because you want to be credible um and you want to be taken seriously which is probably different to someone. So at that point, you're probably trying to maybe impress somebody who's of a different generation to you, mm-hmm. older, because you're trying to get employed by them. So I guess, how, what do they respond to and what's interesting and useful to them versus your peers who will be who see that differently? I suppose to jump on a couple of things there, though, as well, like social media can, can be great to show the personality of that individual as well, can't it? So it's not like that you're just posting content for the sake of posting content. It can be a good way of getting that person's personality out there. So you, you might follow people on, on social media you've never met in your life, but you know quite a bit about them and about, about them as a person. Does it though? So I, I don't know. This is, I suppose, this is. It I, depends whether it's something that they're putting on for that, doesn't it, or whether it's them as a true person. I, I, it, it, I, I definitely would challenge it. I, I definitely feel with a lot of social media and posting. I, I, it reminds me a lot of the uh, unhappy clown, you know, who's got who's painted the face, looks really happy, but is, is maybe, and, and again. I've, I mean, I've dropped, tried to drop myself. Well, I've dropped down to fifteen minutes a day on all social media, and I want to try to do that to fifteen minutes every day, and to the point where I'm coming right off it. Because yeah. personally, okay, so this is coming from someone who's 
you know, I guess like well experienced within working in elite sport, I've, I've got a, a philosophy or a way of working or beliefs around track, you know, blah, 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 blah. Who's basically, I'm, I'm not at the start of my career. And I go, if I spend too much time on that thing, I'm going, oh, why aren't I doing that? That's interesting. Or wow, how have they got that opportunity? Well, I mean, you're, you've, you're really sad really quickly. And it's actually taking time away from the things which are really important and, you know, that are going to do much better things for your life. Reading, like yeah. I scroll through other people's life or read a, a read a book that the most amazing authors have, have written and change how you genuinely see the world and challenge your brain. Um, so I don't know. That's why, that's why I challenge it. It's like, one is it actually showing your personality, or is it just presenting a version of the world, version of you to the world that you want? So, is it actually authentic? And then secondly, it, it, if you're on it for a prolonged period of time, is it being more destructive and challenging you to and and pushing you towards decisions that maybe aren't in your best interest versus other activities? I don't know. Maybe that's some some sort of deep personal reflection. Thank, thank you for the therapy. <laughs> Those two points, I think. I don't know. Is that, how do you see it? No, I fully agree. I fully agree. I think there's a lot of people out there that put on a persona for social media. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that is 100% the case. I think the only disappointment in a way... For somebody like yourself, if they weren't to utilize it, and I, I fully get the time on it as well, because it can be addictive. You can end up spending hours on it that can just be utilized elsewhere for a number of different things. I fully get that as well. Fully agree. But I just feel like someone like yourself, who could impact so many people in one place, as long as the right people are coming to it, that's the, yeah. that's the other thing, I suppose, isn't it? Attracting the right people it can be so impactful in that way if it's done right. But also yeah. if it fits in with your life, your business and the time and everything that you've got to put into it. And I've not really answered anything there. I just feel like that is, that is if we could get more people to post quality stuff, especially on an S&C sports science perspective, yeah, then the network, the community as a whole will benefit. I, I think that's fair and that's valid. And I think I, probably because it aligns with my my values, um, yeah. And how I see how I see it, and I think that's yeah. I'll post. <laughs> All I mean, we need is the first two pictures: one with a sword and a shield, and the next one with a pineapple. That's that, it. See, that's what I don't want to do because then you're like. <laughs> Then you're just associating yourself with athletes rather than posting high quality. I'll clip, I'll clip all the athletes out if you want. <laughs> I think that I think that's fair, but that also aligns with um, again from a marketing perspective for, for my company. I think it's really, really important that um, I want my company associated with high quality work around sports performance, um, not necessarily associations with individuals or organizations um because frankly that's you you enter a, an agreement a relationship with those people and they might not want that as part of the agreement and that can destabilize trust which is more important for long-standing relationships actually having the impact that you want to have 
Um, so yeah, right. I'm gonna have to, yeah, think about that. Thank you. That means no. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to maybe do 20 minutes a day now. Take it up by five. Yeah, I'm just gonna end up five. rolling through boxing videos, <laughs> CrossFit and stuff. Anyway. <laughs> no, but I could speak about this sort of stuff all day, and I, I I really appreciate you giving the time. We've gone over an hour, which is absolutely flown oh. by. Oh, Unbelievably sorry. quick, man. Oh, wait, it's fine. Honestly, I, re I really appreciate you giving up the time. Um, I just wanted to wrap up with well, firstly, if people are interested in the company, they want to like if, if it's the social media accounts, website, anything like that, where would you direct people to to start with? Uh, the website's in development, so it's info at 292performance.com if you want to get in touch, or on Twitter at Ben underscore Rosenblatt. So info at 292performance.com or at Ben underscore Rosenblatt. The website's in development. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. And then selfish question to finish us off. You've mentioned in talk there about saving time from social media to read, to upskill, top two book recommendations. Ooh. Go on, give me your top two from recent reads. Well, one of my favourite books I've ever read is uh, Nelson Mandela's Long Walk to Freedom. Oh, okay. And that that is, yeah, for, for me, that's the, uh, that's my go. Yeah, that is just the most incredible story. Um, and then um, another book I read, which was, um, it was just the best adventure that I've ever read in my life was um, Papillon, but I can't remember the, like the author now it's obviously a very it's a very very famous book it's called Papillon um at the moment I'm reading uh leadership by Henry Kissinger um, yeah yeah sorry maybe I should say super training or something <laughs> no I wasn't expecting anything like that uh that's that's perfect absolutely it, perfect uh, it's Papillon by Papillon it's look it's someone like that yeah it's I can't remember the author unfortunately but yeah. No, that is cool. The Nelson Mandela one I've got to read because um have you just got the, the one kid, Ben? I've got two. Two kids. How old? Five and three. Okay, perfect. So we've we've actually got, I can't remember the name of the actual group of books, but there's books you can buy that tell stories of famous people like Nelson Mandela, but for kids. Yeah. Have you seen them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've got a few of them, yeah. Yeah, so we've got the Nelson Mandela one. So that I've been reading that with my my eldest, um, and cool. he absolutely loves it. But yeah, that's yeah, the most I've got, and that's good for me. <laughs> no, you you must. You you really yeah yeah. I'll uh, I'll get you dress after this, and I'll send it over. Amazing, Ben. I really appreciate you coming on. I'm sure people have taken a hell of a lot from from this episode. So I really appreciate you giving up the time. Well, I've enjoyed having a chat. So hopefully, it's uh, hopefully it's of value to anyone who listens. And please, if if they if it is, please feel to reach out. Amazing, mate! And we'll get you back on when you hit ten million followers on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'd have to do to do that. <laughs> Empty pictures. I told you, you'd be done. <laughs> <laughs> Career over, but done. Yeah, exactly. different career started. Yeah. <laughs> Ben, thank you, mate. Top man. All the very best of luck for and for continuing this amazing work. Thank you. I think this episode came at a brilliant time. I mentioned in the previous episode with Callum that 
this episode with Ben, we actually covered some similar topics, which has worked really nicely. So the two back-to-back, if you've not already listened to episode 253 and you've enjoyed this one, make sure you go back and listen to that one as well. I think Ben mentioned in the episode that he'd have times where he was surrounded by all these experts um, with the team and he was looking around wondering why he was there. I think he's justified it in this podcast because... The approach that he takes with players and developing that buy-in, getting the work done that's needed to be done, but in a way that isn't so boring. Um, He's made things fun. Uh, He's creative, innovative with the approach that he's taking with the players, which is blatant to see. I think that that alone is enough to get the work out of the players and justify that reason why he's been at that top level for such a long time. And it'd be great to see how 290 performance develops as well, um, applying his experience into that that slightly different approach in the private world, which will be amazing. So we covered loads of great stuff in this one. I love all the stories that he told. Um, so I hope you enjoyed all of those as well. Uh, please give this one a share because I think this... There's so many lessons to be taken from coaches on this episode that more people need to hear it. So please give it a share. Tag people in with, it, with that share as well that you think will will benefit or appreciate the episode as well. I really would appreciate it. Make sure you go and give 292 Performance a follow as well. Um, keep an eye out for what they're going to be doing. Obviously all led by Ben, which will be amazing to see. And yeah, big thank you for listening and a huge thank you to Ben for coming on the podcast as well. It's been someone that I've been chasing for a long time. So yeah, really appreciate him coming on and giving up the time to come on the podcast. And just lastly, as well as just going checking out our networking events that we've got coming up, because Ben talked about the importance of networking in this field as well. Make sure you go and support our sponsors. So The Good Prep, Rezzel and Hytro all doing some brilliant work. So at least just go and give them a follow over on social media. Go and show them some love. I really would appreciate that. And I will speak to you again in episode 255.